Hello, this is Kumbasike, this is Connor, and this is episode 34. Today I'm talking to Michael Walsh. Michael is raised in Manchester, based in Sheffield, a doctoral researcher at the University of Sheffield Department of Music. He's a musician and his album Quehawk is out now. Michael, how are you doing? I'm all right, Connor, nice to talk to you. Yeah, did I get that right? Quehawk, is that how you pronounce the album? Quehawk is ex exactly right. Yes, a lot of people thought of go oh, Quahawk or whatever. Your your granddad would have certainly known that phrase. Yeah, of course. I saw him on the um on the band camp actually. It's talking about who you were influenced by and Tony Howley come up. I thought, oh, recognise that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a big, big hero of mine, both musically, because he plays Sligo style or plays Sligo style flute. He was in fact he's one of the first flute and tin whistle players I heard play and also sartorially because he always dressed beautifully, he had a really lovely suit and a nice dicky bow and he just looked cool so top man yeah absolutely so uh, do you mind telling me a bit about your background then Mike uh, you were raised in Manchester born in Manchester uh, first three years in Levenshume they call it the 33rd county although Kilburn debates that too and then after three years, we moved to Stockport up the road, Heaton Chapel. And yeah, grew up there and eventually went to Sheffield College, came back to Manchester for a bit, lived in Ireland for a bit, ended up back in Manchester. And now I live here with my family in Sheffield. So, Okay, great stuff. And moving on to music, where did that all start for you? When did you start out in music? about eight years old seven or eight years old my mum came home from st brendan's irish center in old trafford uh she'd been to some think there and uh, she said do you want to learn irish music? i think she brought a kaylee band record back and as far as i was concerned irish music was country and irish because that's what i'd really heard i hadn't heard much traditional music uh, and then I listened to it and thought, yeah, I'd be up for that. So I went for a couple of lessons at St. Brendan's and then for whatever reason, I ended up at St. Wilfrid's in Humour every Saturday morning with the brilliant Marion Flannery, who's now Marion Egan, and learned from her and then had all the fabulous influence of the people such as your granddad, Tony Howley, and all the, the musicians who came over in the 50s and 60s from Ireland. That's my music. It's Sligo style, traditional Irish music, but with a twist. Okay, sure. And what was it about traditional Irish or Sligo style that really appealed to you? Uh, probably because I was a bit of a rabid national, Irish nationalist when I was a kid. So there was the whole thing about uh, identity, uh, anything to do with Irish or Irishness, because there was that whole longing for home, particularly from my mum. We identified with it. Uh, and obviously that was in the context of growing up in the 1970s in Britain, where Anglo-Irish relations were tasty, say the least. And it was a good way of expressing something solid and safe. Right, OK. And then throughout that, um, you've been playing music, obviously, a while. How did you get involved at the University of Sheffield? Right. Uh, well, I, top and bottom of it is I went... How does it? I, I got to a point in my life where 
uh, when my children came along, my first child, uh, my daughter came along, Celeste, and uh, I was thinking about how do you want to live your life? And there were certain things that I hadn't done and I wanted to do. So there's a couple of things. One was make an album, which I went and did. Uh, and two was uh, do a PhD. And I was fascinated by um, Music of Astorius, which is a, a country, region, uh, principality or area of Spain, depending on your politics. I went there at, to a wedding of a friend who I met while walking across Spain on the Camino de Santiago. And while I was there, I heard some Asturian music. I'd heard a little bit before, followed the sound in the town, and I went into this bar and uh, found all these musicians. And I was fascinated about the similarities, yet the differences to traditional Irish music. And I was intrigued. So I went about learning Spanish, learning how to read music, and doing my music exams, and uh, look at doing a PhD. So it was really, I just fancied really digging deep into a subject area. Right, I see. And you also teach kids, is that correct? Mm. Yeah, I teach adults and kids. Um, yeah, teach Timmersel and flute. Uh, so that simple system, wooden transverse flute um, and uh, low whistle as well. So I teach mainly adults, but some kids too, because largely my focus over the last couple of years has either been looking after my kids because my wife you know, had to work during the day and or doing my PhD so but I'm increasingly working with kids more and that's my background originally I was a youth worker right okay I see and how do you find kind of the experience of working and teaching adults and kids music got uh, get a great satisfaction and I have a great range from, like, I've got one young Timmersel player who is just gobbling up all the information. He's practising all the time. is absolutely incredible. You know, like, really learning quick and smart. There are some others who are a bit slower, but they do it more. It's a more sociable thing, and they just enjoy it, which was, for me as a kid, I, I didn't really sort of strive for excellence. I just enjoyed going to the classes and having a laugh and hanging out with my friends and playing a bit of music. So I have a mixture of that. And then there's some adults um who again are late learners but or are transferring from playing another instrument such as the bone system the silver flute and or have some who are sort of leisure learners but you know a charge a good the musicians union rates you don't get too many people who are just doing it to fill time people usually want to learn when they come to me right okay and well the theme of the podcast Cumbersique Mike is usually come back from adversity so most of the guests who come on talk yep. about challenges they've faced. This could be mental health or other. Do you mind talking to me yep. a bit then about maybe your own experiences, mental health, adversity, yep. and what's happened? Two, two key moments in my life. Uh, one was when I, uh, I went to live in Ireland uh, for a few years, three, four years. I was director of the regional youth service, a youth work charity there in Donegal. Hello to any of the people there in Donegal that was listening. And uh, I, while I was there, um, I had a, what they might call a severe depressive episode or what they used to call a breakdown. So I just couldn't cope with everything. And uh, it's a fairly high pressure job. And um, I just stopped being out of function uh, gradually. And uh, yeah, so I, in the end, I took a little bit of time off and then realised actually I couldn't go back to the job. I needed to stop. Um, and I gave up my job 
and and uh, moved back to England for two or three months just to get recover because you know, I was in quite bad shape. <clears throat> and then I decided to walk across Spain. I had heard about this Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrimage. And some people do it because they're religious. I'm not particularly religious, although I was questioning things. Um, and you walk across Spain. So you can either do smaller parts of it or I walked a thousand kilometres. And it got me fit. It freshened my head and gave me time. It took six weeks to really think about what I wanted out of life. Um, and I realised that I really needed to slowly build my strength back up and focus on things that I really wanted to do in life. So that was the first one. Um, and then the second one would have been, which is the inspiration for my album, Queer Hope, was when I started recording my album which I was recording as like a business calling card to people say, look, here's what I do. It's my first album at the grand old age of 53. I think I was 52. Uh, and my dad died. Uh, tragically, he was found in the river. He disappeared one day. And um, through the process of grieving, I found a way through music to express that whole process, to reflect on my relationship with my dad, the relationship with men um, that I've had, uh, the relationship with my son, uh, all those kind of things uh, and how it sort of panned out in the past, what's happening now and how I want to go forward in the future. And it was a really, it was a really cathartic experience. Um, and what you find on Queer Hawk is almost like a, a filmic, someone described it as filmic, a, a life story within music through little vignettes. So they're the two things. There was a, a, a severe depressive episode and then there was a process of grief from losing my dad in really terrible circumstances mm. um i know this might be a slightly possibly a slightly daft question but do you mind telling me a bit more about what actually was going on throughout the depressive episode because i've had them myself i know many others who have and the loss of function is something that a lot of people still don't really understand what exactly was going on during that time that made you think that almost made you realize wow i am really unwell and i need to get better uh it's a gradual process you see so i would look back on my behavior i mean i was quite successful i was like one of the youngest directors of a youth work charity in ireland you know and i had I'd, I'd got i'd sort of had a really great job before that in manchester city and all that kind of stuff so um i was successful tick 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 in that kind of way um so I, it but what i was having was increasing highs and lows so I'd almost get manic, you know, I'd have these, I'd be like an amazing company, you know, I'd, I'd be the funny guy, I'd sort of, you know, create a world, but then I'd gradually have these bigger dips, 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 and you, you, and then if you add alcohol, which I don't have an addiction to alcohol, but if you add that into the mix, it's not healthy. Um, and just gradually, I just, I lost perspective. I was away from a family. I had some, I call them my own wild geese. I had some lovely people who supported me and helped me out when I got really ill in Ireland. Um, but it was a gradual process until I got to the point where, well, there was, there was a couple of moments <clears throat> when I look back, this high and low, I got to a point where I remember going to Madrid uh, to meet friends from Manchester, I was living in Ireland at the time, and I remember uh, drinking so much gin and tonic that I can contemplate myself the only time that's happened and that should be a flag 
you know. And I remember walking around in Madrid and jumping, people would come towards me. Like, so I'm a highly functioning director of an organisation, but I'm like afraid of my own shadow. Uh, and I'm thinking about killing myself. So they're big, big red flags. But when you're living through it, you don't see it, you know. It's like a blur. Uh, and then gradually, I suppose, I remember just more and more and more, like I'd have my door closed in in, in, in the organisation I worked in. And I always, I'm always very open, open person as a leader that people can come and talk to. And I didn't even think about it, just had the door closed and I just wanted to hide. Um, and it just felt very dark all the time. And I remember walking down the road in Donegal and then this, these tears came and it just flooded and flooded, almost uncontrollable. I've never had it. It's like a river. Uh, and then I started messing around looking at complementary therapies and trying all sorts of weird and wacky stuff. And really probably they were indicators that, you know, I, I knew underneath that something wasn't well. Um, and I remember sitting in a car after I had some, some I think it's called biodynamic massage, massage therapy, don't know what, anyways. I remember sitting in a car and I just couldn't even function. And I rang a friend of mine, a brilliant fan, Caroline Tierney and the Tierneys, they're from Manchester, but live in the west of Ireland. And I rang them and uh, Caroline's mum has an experience of counselling and all that kind of thing, giving counselling. And she just said, you've got to come down to us now you've got to stop because i knew there was just i was beyond but i didn't even realize i was driving around and didn't realize how unwell i was and i i, I managed to drive to um dunmore and then my friend caroline took me to uh, her cousin who's a doctor jarliff and he just said you're not going back there you don't realize how unwell you are so that was it i spent two weeks trying to recuperate in Ireland and then I was well enough to fly home and then start recuperating there but I couldn't even like <clears throat> I couldn't even function to the point where I couldn't even work out how to claim benefits you know so I resigned my job I couldn't even handle ringing up the benefit system and considering I'd worked as a youth worker and an advice worker so that that was the level of not being out of function just nothing working so you're sort of on autopilot but you can't really do anything so that that's where I was at. Okay, and then you make your comeback. Is it just the uh, pilgrimage to Santiago that was the turning point, or was there <clears> any <throat> other techniques or any other incidents that you thought, okay, this is helping me get back on my feet? Slow steps. So not everyone can go for a a long walk like that. Okay. Uh, but I would recommend it if you can. But go for a walk in the woods. I run every day in the woods near me, or go for a walk, and like it just feels part of that little journey. Because they say the Camino never ends. Camino means way in Spanish. Um, so I look after my physical health, which goes up and down. Sometimes I pile a load of weight during the uh, lockdown, but you know I keep an eye on it and I try and stay fit. So that helps me, <clears throat> even physically fit. <clears throat> I'm very careful, I'm very aware. So for example, with alcohol, I might drink one glass of beer or a glass of wine. No more than that now because it just doesn't agree. It just depresses me. Um, and there's better things in life than that, you know. Uh, so there's little steps like that, but being very self-aware, being grounded. So I would have worked a lot on, I would have done a good bit of yoga that helped. 
idea of planting your feet on the ground. When I talk with students now, I talk about being grounded, about having good posture. Um, I also spent a lot of time swimming, actually. So I did this thing, uh, swimming without stress, and it's just a really nice way of being powerful in the water, but gliding. So being very aware of your body and how your mind and your body connect to each other. Those help. Uh, one of the things I did when I came back from the Camino, I did a little project. I did a literary project, literature project. That was quite nice. Got me going. And then I actually got a job answering phones in a call centre. I was working for the RAC, sorting out their motability, dealing with old people. And uh, that was lovely. I only did it for about a month and it just got me back in, you know, just a little small step. And then I felt strong enough. And then I applied for another job. I got a job um, as assistant head of services for young people in Stockport, which is quite a lot of responsibility. But there, there was uh, good support, good structure, good, uh, inspirational managers. I did a lot of development, so I learned how to coach. So I did uh, I trained as a leadership coach. So that made me very self-aware of myself about time management, about dealing with pressure, about talking openly about mental health issues, uh, and then about how my mental health impacts on others. So th those were some of the things I put in place. Um, I also did a bit of thinking thinking about uh, what I want to do in the future. So some of that developed from um, from there. So, But then you can plan all these things. So for example, I met my wife, wasn't planning that. And then that changed everything. Ended up having kids and then decided to stop doing what I did before and do more work and be a dad, uh, music and be a dad. So there are, but there's, all through that, there are certain sort of key blocks, which is looking after my health, minding my mental health if i get tired and make sure i rest make sure i talk to my wife or my kids and say look i'm not feeling really well i need to have some rest that's really really important so talking about it is a biggie as well so every so often so for example when my dad died a lot of these building blocks and things that helped me feel rooted and coping mechanisms were great but i also went and got some counseling luckily had enough money to pay for my own counselling but I went and got some bereavement counselling and put things into place and um, so there's some of the things and the biggest is just talking about it talk about it get rid of the stigma you know yeah I completely agree with that last sentence what do you think can be done as well as talking to get rid of the stigma because I do still believe it does exist in some quarters we're getting better but what more do you think we can do to change it uh number of things it can be on a micro level so talking about it so the people it and it's also it's quite high risk for people to talk about mental health so i'm well i'm an an old white man so that gives me a lot of power mm. okay so i'm in a position and also fairly respected as a musician i would say so I'm in a position where I can stand up. I need to be standing up and talking about this and saying, this is impacted on me. This is what's happening. Uh, this is how I uh, got over it. And this is how I deal with it. So we need micro level is pe people talking about it. Okay. But bearing in mind, not everyone's in a position to talk about it because there's still a taboo. One of the first things I did when I took my job at Stockport Council was I said, to my boss this is what's happened to me you need to know about this and she was wonderful and she just said fantastic uh, uh, thank you for your honesty we'll just make sure that we give you the kind of support you need and i always got that uh, uh 
hey, here's the thing. There's elections coming up. Ask your local councillor what they're doing. Ask your MP when there's an election coming up. What are you doing? And that's just simple as an email. What's your strategy around mental health? Yes. So that that's a biggie. So on a, a macro level, on a government level, on a local level, just keep asking people, what are you doing for me? How does that help? Yeah, how can you help me? So it's that, but you've got to realise, because that's where when people have policies in place in organisations and then strategies to deal with it, that's when people feel safer to say, I've got a mental health issue, because I think people are still worried if they say, I've got depression or I've got a mental health issue. People go, oh, I'm, uh, you know, bipolar or all those kinds of things. They just go, people go, whoa, you know? Yeah, of course. So. So there's no quick fix, but there's a number of different small things and big things that I think we can all do. So thank you for sharing that insight there on mental health, Mike. Should we talk then about your album? You mentioned uh, about the second episode in your life, your father's death, uh, that inspired the album. Do you mind telling me yeah. a bit more then about the whole album process, how it started, what it was like recording, etc. So it started as a very basic, I'm just going to put a bit of flute down, inspired pe again, like people like your dad, uh, sorry, your um, granddad and people like Roger Sherlock and James Tansy, sort of classic old school flute players there, my main men and, and women too, you know. Um, uh, so looking at some of, the, some of those and just having a very simple uh, recording, just say, here's what I do, because I've always played, but not really pushed, but the music because i've always done other things you know uh and then my dad died and then i was trying to deal with the process so i just i was up all night and it was it was like the sort of the ravens of madman but it was the ravens of someone grieving you know uh and i was just hallucinating almost and i just you know sort of those dreams that are half real and half not so just instead of um instead of taking sleeping tablets i started writing it down and also just went how would I, how would i make this into a piece of art or music so uh and that's when i started going oh i'd like this person or that person people you know like a, a, a hero worship so for example i ended up with the uh kepa hunkera who's um a, sort of a bit of a legend in the world of accordions he's a basque accordion player but i mean we've been seeing him big open air concerts in spain he's huge 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 and i just thought there's no way ever but i just messaged him and i could hear i could hear all this music in my head and it was just like it was almost like a gift from my dad just was pouring out of me you know i'd never really composed tunes that started happening so i just started messaging people and saying uh would you like to work with me and uh so for example kepa honkera said yes i like your ideas i like your music uh, it's going to take me a year before I can do it. And he did it. He came back and did it with me, which is brilliant. Uh, I had, had uh, Mike Gary, who's my famous favourite performance poet. And I could hear his voice because I wanted a Mancunian voice to an Irish sound, you know, to represent the Mancunian Irishness. Uh, messaged him. He said, yeah, great. And then just by accident, I was chatting to Mike Goldrick. He got in contact with me about someone who wanted his friend's kid wanted teaching in Sheffield. And uh, he said, how are you doing? Hadn't seen him for ages. Just said, might do an album. And he said, well, I can produce it if you want. So uh, we started working with him. Uh, so that was good. So it was almost it was like a real cathartic process. Uh, and Mike Goldrick was great. Didn't really know much about him because of 
known him but not really spent any time with him and he was brilliant because he dealt with my grief that's quite a heavy thing to work with someone who's going through that and he, he was wonderful so uh, i can't praise him enough just loads so that was it it was a very cathartic process uh sometimes i was able to do lots sometimes i didn't do anything i was up i was down i was around i was probably very difficult to live with um but putting this all together and putting it it was almost like a framework to put my grief onto uh, and that's what the album was and became so there's lots of vignettes about the past about growing up in manchester stuff i talk about uh being irish and english being both being neither, I talk about sexuality, I talk about being bisexual, I talk about being neither straight nor gay or both, you know, so that being in between worlds, and same with mental health too. So all that stuff ended up in the album. Um, and then also my love of Northern Spain and the Iberian Peninsula, so there's lots of my pals from Asturias and Kepa Junquera. Uh, so yeah, I was really lucky to work with some lots of people, uh, and that was a... a a good vehicle for my grieving so i would recommend making an album if you're going a bit mad because it'll either be brilliant or awful but it will help you yeah that actually brings me very nicely onto my next question is if there was anyone for example looking to get into music this can be irish music or any type what would you say to them in getting started and getting involved in music uh listen to lots uh, you can start very cheaply if you want. You can learn how to sing a song. Don't cost anything. Uh, you can buy a tin whistle. That's my my lovely instrument, which I, you know, five quid. Obviously, you can pay five hundred quid for a whistle. And I've got some very beautiful, crafted whistles. But you can start very easily with a five pound tin whistle. Um, and there's loads of resources online. Basics of how to learn a scale or what approach you're going to take. So I, I learned music by Do Re Mi and by learning by ear. I only learned to read music when I wanted to go and do my PhD, really. I went and did my music exams when I was 15. I was the only person at the exam without my mum. So, um, yeah, so it's really easy. Just keep it very simple. Listen, ask questions. People are very friendly. It'd be amazing. In traditional music, folk music, people will answer how do I go about it, you know? Uh, have a trial lesson. It's a bit difficult now because in the past I would have said, go to a session, ask people, can you have a go on their instrument? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but that's not happening at the moment. Loads of lessons online. Uh, some of the best musicians in the world are available for lessons now. Doesn't always mean they're the best teacher, but um, certainly you've got access to their knowledge and their ideas. So that's what I would say. If you're talking about traditional Irish music, very simple one would be you could get in touch with Cultus Cultor in there and the Irish Musicians Association, and you can find them online uh, all over the world. They have lessons, they have online lessons, um, you know, cheap group lessons as well. So just keep it simple, ask questions, find out as much as you can, and, and give it a go and relax. And just always remember what I say to people who are. And don't be frightened of making mistakes because ornamentation, the twiddly bit, are just mistakes that people have made and gone, oh, that sounds quite nice. So, 
Okay, and then coming to the end of the conversation, Mike, uh, what are your aims for the future with music and beyond? I'm aware that's quite a big question, but I will still pose it to you. So uh, my aims are, I need to finish my PhD off, hopefully, well, I'll be finishing off by the end of this year. Um, I have a couple of projects, one that I've started uh, with uh, all the Simons in my life. So there's one with uh, Simon Bradley, who is a uh, fiddle player originally from Stelbury Group at the same time, but went to different cultures lessons. And uh, I met him in Astorius. Uh, he's famous in Astorius for being in their, their equivalent of the chieftains, for example, called Jandakubel. We got on famously, we did some gigging and recorded together and we have started a project, but it has been on hold because of the world that's in it, which is a return to Manchester. So I'll be looking to sort of go back to Manchester and look at our source material of the tunes that we originally learned, talk to some of the musicians and do some recording. That's one thing. I'd like to continue on with the idea of Queer Hope, that mix of Irish, English and Spanish music. So that will come too. I just really enjoy teaching and I'm probably going to be doing a bit more academic research. So that's the plan at the moment. But I take each day as it comes because things like pandemics come and who knew? No. So yeah, that's as far as I got. Great stuff. Yeah, I like the approach to that. So, Mike, thanks very much for coming on. I really enjoyed that chat from the music side to the mental health stories. I think you've done really well in coming back from it and what you're doing now Thank is you, great. Connor. So really appreciate your time here and you're welcome back anytime. Uh, great. Thanks, Connor, for talking about its important issues and thanks for being brave and being open about it too. So I uh, celebrate your attitude and work too. Cheers. All the best, Mike.